Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Well, a year ago, the debate over a federal grant for early education was one of the hottest topics at the Idaho legislature. Ultimately, legislators rejected the $6 million a year federal grant. So what's been going on with early education since then? The topic has kind of left the limelight a little bit, but not exactly because legislators then turned around this year and put another $46.6 million into early literacy programs money that's already being applied to all-day kindergarten programs around the state. So what does all this mean? And what is the state of early education in Idaho? To get a sense of where we stand right now, I sat down this week with Beth Oppenheimer. She is the executive director of the Idaho Association for the Education of Young Children. She also serves on the Boise School Board. Here's our conversation. Well, Beth, thanks for joining us again for the podcast. So The last time you were here for the podcast was a year ago. It was right after the 2021 legislative session and lawmakers had voted down that $6 million a year federal grant for early education. It was one of the big topics of the session. We haven't talked as much about early education in the past 12 months. So what has been going on in the early education space since then? Uh, yeah, and thank you, Kevin. Um, you know, there has a lot of silent things have been happening, I should say, over the past two years or year. Uh, that was obviously a devastating downfall for the the work that we're doing in early ed. But, you know, thankfully, we have been able to secure quite a bit of funding uh, over that past year to salvage a lot of those activities that's really moving early childhood education forward in the state. Um, For instance, um, the local collaboratives, that was a big piece of the preschool development grant. We were able to secure some funding to not only continue with the work that the local collaboratives are doing, but also expand. So as of today, we have 20 communities throughout Idaho that are really coming together at that local level Mm -hmm. to develop and design early childhood opportunities for families and children within that community. Give us an example of what a couple of these collaboratives look like. And I'm not asking you to pick favorites. I'm sure they're, I'm sure you're, sure. you're fond of all 20 of them, uh-huh. but give us an example of what's going on in some communities that. Yeah. The, the beauty of the local collaborative model is that it's very unique to that community. American Falls is a really good example of how a community has come together to provide supports for young children and families. In American Falls, uh, they are—they have everyone involved. They've got school districts, they've got childcare, they've got libraries, they've got local leaders, um, families engaged. And right now, they, they have very close to universal preschool in American Falls. They've been able to connect the childcare programs with the school district. Mm -hmm. And that really helps with that transition from early childhood into school. Um, They have very, I think it's about once a month, they have family nights where they bring young children, families together, either at the school or a community center, and they're doing early learning activities. So the parents are engaged with um, one program that they do is Ready for Kindergarten. And that is where parents are learning how to um, play with their children with purpose to help prepare them for school. Uh, So American Falls, they're in it. They have named their entire local collaborative Read, Talk, and Play. And they get 
90 to 100 families um, to these family event nights. Uh, and so that's that's one example okay. of what's happening. Uh, in um, Here in Boise, Giraffe Left, they have really worked to expand their child care program and really put more of an emphasis on early childhood education. They've got scholarship dollars so that more children can participate in that program. Um, I was just out in CUNA a couple months ago and looking to see what they're doing. And again, they're connecting these systems, school districts, child care, after school programs, and bringing families and communities together. So it's not necessarily building pre-K, um, but it's really providing those early childhood opportunities for young children and families. So what are some of the unifying threads that you see at the community level? I mean, what are the threads that make for a successful program? And what are maybe some of the recurring challenges that communities are facing? The, what, what makes it successful is the buy-in from everyone in the community. And I think we've talked before, oftentimes when you talk about early childhood, and what does that look like in a community, oftentimes people will point to the school district and say they need to do it. But what we do is we go in and help them really figure out who should be at the table. Um, and so helping them think outside of that, that box, if you will, of just another grade onto a K through 12 system, um, who can be impactful in these conversations. So again, it's childcare, it's school districts, it's families, it's libraries, it's local leaders. And what we're also seeing our business, our business industry is engaging in this for two reasons. First of all, they can provide some of the financial support mm -hmm. to um, to fund whatever it is that that community decides to develop. But on the other hand, they know the business community is really engaged because they need to recruit and, and retain a qualified workforce and having opportunities for early childhood programs, whether it's childcare or preschool program, whatever that is, really benefits them. So um, it's interesting to see the companies that are coming together and, and trying to navigate this and, and being at that table. So the success formula is getting that buy-in, getting that collaboration. Mm -hmm. What's the obstacle? What's the biggest obstacle right now? I think the biggest obstacle is capacity. Hmm. And one of the things that we help with the communities with helping to lead these local collaboratives is, you know, and we've said it before, we don't go in and tell them what to do. We help them figure out how. And if you look at all of these entities that are engaged in this local collaborative, everyone's plates are full. And so one of the things that we do is we help fund a local project director that can help navigate all of the different pieces of that puzzle and bring it together to really think about what works, what, it, what are our needs in our community and what is, what is it that we really want for families. Some communities might just want um, family nights to, to, you know, empower parents and help parents work with children at home. Some communities might want just a preschool program. Um, some want it all. And so it really is based on that community's needs and desires and what their goals are. And we help them figure that out. I'm really curious about how the economy and how the economic forces that we're seeing across the, the broad scope of the economy, how that's affecting this sector, because early education is a little bit different 
it's it's a different sector than public schools. It is, and uh, and it's a really good point. And a lot of, a lot of people don't make that connection of the economy and and early childhood. And you know, one of the things that we are seeing with the economic challenges is that families childcare is basically our early childhood system right now mm-hmm. at, at a state level. It's not really publicly funded. We have, um, you know, subsidy for very low families, but it's not funded with public dollars. And so what's happening are parents are having to choose whether they go to work and um, and they can afford childcare or they stay home and try to navigate all of this together and having the skills and the knowledge to you know, work with their children and play with purpose, as mm-hmm. we always say, right. to help prepare them for school. And so the cost of childcare, the cost of a private preschool program um, is really out of reach for so many families. And so families are having to make decisions. And, and I think that we're seeing that with our school readiness rates. Um, you know, they're, they're not getting a lot better. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we still have, you know, half of, I say half of, you, you know, those, that data better than I do, um, half of our children that are coming in not prepared. Um, so we're hoping with more and more supports for families, more supports for children, eventually we will turn that dial a little bit and, and make it better. How is this labor market affecting early education? I mean, you mentioned the, the choices that parents are having to make mm-hmm. about working or staying home, you know, sending their kid to an early education program or mm-hmm. opting out of the workforce entirely. How are early education programs managing in terms of recruiting and retaining staff? Or, or, or are they managing at this point? Very good question, and they're not managing well. Right. <laughs> you know, what we're seeing in the space of early childhood education is that, um, again, it's not a publicly funded, and, and everything that, that the salary of an early childhood educator really falls on the backs of parents. Mm-hmm. And it's already an expensive program. It's an expensive uh, early childhood education is very expensive to run because you've got fewer students with one teacher. Uh, and what we're seeing is the recruitment is very difficult because all of these other industries are able to raise their wages, um, which is putting um, a tremendous amount of competition for hiring early childhood educators. When you can go to Walmart uh, or Starbucks and make 15 to $20 an hour, whereas an early childhood program, you're making an average of 10 without benefits. Mm -hmm. And so our early childhood education programs are really, really struggling to to be able to recruit. And and unfortunately, it's putting our early childhood programs in a situation where at some point, they just need a warm body. Is that helping our system? Is that helping our children? Um, we need uh, to be able to pay a competitive wage for that teacher that is that has you know the education and the background to help really work with and care for those children um, and to prepare them for school. A warm body is not going to cut it. But a warm body may be the best that some centers can do. When you've got this kind of vicious cycle going on, if you have parents who are not opting into the system, Mm -hmm. that's affecting the revenue stream for the uh, early education Mm -hmm. center, which in turn affects what they can afford to pay and how many staffers they can hire. 
sure. It's mm. it's a vicious circle. And at the end of the day, who pays for it, right? And I think that too often we look towards one entity. Well, the, the government has to pay for it or, you know, parents have to pay for it or whatever. And that's another beauty of the local collaboratives and also bringing business industry into the conversation because there is a model where if businesses can partner with an early childhood system or program, um, they not only can help subsidize spots, if you will, for their employees, which helps the, the steady stream of revenue for the child care mm-hmm. program or the early childhood program. And helps with their retention. There. Absolutely. It helps with their retention. But on top of that, if a business can help subsidize wages of the teachers, and if a teacher is making $10 an hour and the company comes in and says, I'll pay five dollars additional or match or you know whatever that looks like. Now, now the program's more competitive with being able to attract and retain early childhood educators, um, and and it's not that you know one of the things too that a lot of people don't know is through our Idaho Stars project we offer academic scholarships for and we pay for those individuals who want to get a degree in early childhood education. We have partnerships with all seven colleges and universities across the state, and we have consistently um, around 60 to 70 academic scholars. And so we're, we're building that supply mm-hmm. of early childhood educators, um, but oftentimes they're going into K through 12 because they make more money, or they're leaving the state because they can make even more money. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not that we're not building that supply. We have that supply. How do we take that supply that we're helping to fund and we're helping to um, produce and keep them in our communities and, and help them have a, 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 a successful career in early childhood education? So one thing that did change legislatively since 2021 was the funding for literacy and the the potential that that funding is going to go into all day kindergarten. How does that affect the early education sector in your view? Well, remember that kindergarten is part of early childhood education, right? right? Technically, early childhood is birth through age eight. Um, I think it's it's fantastic, and I do think that it is going to help with um, the long-term trajectory of um, student success uh, academically as well as um, socially and emotionally. Um, I don't think that it changes the early childhood sector because if you think about it, at the end of the day, you still have half of our children mm-hmm. entering kindergarten, whether they're going into a full day or half day program that are not prepared. So imagine if we could um, increase the number of children that are ready walking into kindergarten and now what that full day kindergarten program looks like. Um, you're still gonna have half of the kids playing catch up. Um, it does give those children uh, more time. It does give teachers. I think that sometimes we forget about the kindergarten teachers now rather than having uh, 50 children that they are working with in a day, 25 in the morning, 25 in the afternoon. Now they've got 25. And so they've got more time with those children throughout the day, which eventually is going to help. And you know, we, we talk about third grade reading as, as sort of the bar. Um, and I do think it will help. Is it going to fix all the problems? Absolutely not. 
Right. I mean, what you're saying and what, what you've said for a long time is that this shouldn't be a binary choice. It mm-hmm. shouldn't be pre-K versus kindergarten. Mm-hmm. The two have to be complementary because, as you say, we've still got a kindergarten readiness issue mm-hmm. that's not being addressed by all-day kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great step in the right direction. And for years, I mean, I remember, you know, 11 years ago when, when we were talking about early childhood and... That was actually at a time where no one would talk about it. <laughs> so it's taken several years to talk about it. And um, hearing legislators say, well, we don't even have full-day kindergarten. And I say, yes, let's do that. You know, it, it's fine. Like, there, there's a stepping point. And if this is where we want to invest our funding, I think that that's great. And we should be doing that. We can't forget about the fact that we still have to figure out a way to serve our children birth to age five. <laughs> In your role as a Boise trustee, you all had to decide what to do with this literacy funding and decided even before the funding came in to to go into tuition-free all-day kindergarten. Walk me through the decision from your perspective as a trustee and also as an advocate for early education. Sure. Um, obviously, I was very pleased <laughs> and pleased at all of this. You know, the, the Boise School District has been talking about full-day kindergarten for years. And uh, it really did get to the point that we were prepared and ready and had the funding to be able to do that. Um, We had a a donor, a very generous donor, who helped fund, came to us and said, I want to help you um, with that initial cost of having full-day kindergarten. And it just seemed like the perfect time. And you remember, we we made that decision before. Right, right. it was January. It was the first week of the Uh session. And so we made that decision. And... um, and everyone is on board. I mean, obviously, I have a, I've got a lot of skin in that game because you know I've been advocating for early childhood for for eons, and so um, to be able to do that is wonderful. And not that you know there were some things to think through. Um, one of which is, do we offer part-time kindergarten for some families that want mm-hmm. it? Um, that was a big decision that we had to think through. Um, or do we have the space? And, and we were able to navigate some of the space to be able to offer class, you know, have the classroom space because a lot of school districts don't have that. Right. Uh, and that's a challenge, but we were able to do that. So we had buy-in from all of the trustees, from the administration, from teachers, um, and it, all the pieces fell into place that we were, were able to make that decision. Do you worry that the state funding is dependable, sustainable, long-term? I mean, it's not really earmarked all-day kindergarten. It's tied to literacy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think that, um, you know, I'm so pleased that the governor has put so much initiative and funding into literacy and having that availability of the funding for school districts to use for full-day kindergarten. Um, I'm quite surprised that some of the school districts came out so early and said, mm-hmm. we're going to offer full-day kindergarten. I think that the sustainability, I, I hope that they have thought through what that sustainability plan looks like. Boise School Districts is a little bit different in that we have other funding that we can use um, you know, through our charter um, that we can use for that, but we also have um, very supportive uh, donors and whatnot that can keep it sustainable. But what what 
would be devastating to me, and we'll, only time will tell, Kevin, is these school districts that are going to start this full-day kindergarten, I can't imagine them having to pull away from that if the funding's not available right. in the future. Do you feel going forward as an advocate for early education, do you feel a need to maybe you know, shift the narrative a little bit, that it's not just about literacy as opposed to all of the other aspects of early childhood development, that it's not just kindergarten as opposed to the other components of early educational development? I mean, do you worry that we're putting so much emphasis on kindergarten and literacy that we're kind of putting our eggs in one basket. I do. I do. And I think that that's been a fear for years. And, um, you know, if you talk to an early childhood um, educator, uh, they're not happy that, that the conversation is only around literacy because kids can know their ABCs. They can memorize their ABCs and one, two, threes. They can memorize sight words. They, they can do all that. But but what's missing in in really making sure that our children are growing and, and you know, being successful is the social emotional. Well, now that has a, you know, negative connotation with some folks. Um, it's the math skills. It's the, you know, all of those pieces that come together. And when we started really, really talking about early childhood education with policymakers, that is something tangible that they can wrap their mm-hmm. arms around. ABCs and one, two, threes are something that they can understand. And there's a test. There, there are and scores. And there's a test you can you can test for. It. You're right. You can you can say we we made it or we didn't make it. With the other components that I would argue are even more critical than learning or than than literacy, are their social emotional skills. And interestingly enough, if you think about it, social emotional skills are the exact skills that businesses are looking Mm -hmm. for at the end of the spectrum when they're hiring. Businesses aren't hiring somebody because somebody can read or not read. You know, chances are, if they're applying for a job, they can read. What they're looking for are those 21st century skills. Can they um, think critically? Can they get along with one another? Can they solve problems? And those are all skills that if you back it up, those are learned in those very young, early years. But skills um, that are very difficult to quantify. Very difficult. Even math mm-hmm. skills, I mean, they're more quantifiable. Mm-hmm. We just don't quantify them as much as a state mm-hmm. as we do reading. Right. And so when, you know, the, the biggest component, children learn through play. And, and sometimes when you say that, and I'm going to use policymakers because they're the ones making the decisions on funding. When you say children learn through play, I've even heard one legislator say, we're going to spend all this money and help children play. Shouldn't they just be doing that innately? Yes, that, mm-hmm. that is true. Children do play, but it's the, it's the playing with purpose, playing with purpose. Exactly. that really makes that difference. So it's, it's not just about, you know, when, when children are playing with blocks and how many children don't have the opportunity to play with blocks. If they're in an environment that has a set of blocks, they're learning math skills. They're learning, if they're playing with other children, they're learning to, to share and cooperate and get right. along with one another and think critically. Let's build this castle. Um, 
okay, you know, Johnny says, let's build this castle. And the other guy says, hey, how about if we put a tower on it? Those are the types of activities Mm -hmm. that is happening in, in the business community. And those are the skills that our business community needs. It's very difficult to teach those skills later on in your academic career in high school. Um, you know, trying to teach a, a sophomore in high school to get along with one another, to, to work together collaboratively if they don't have those foundational skills right. before is very difficult. Well, sometimes I feel like I'm playing at a podcast. We're playing with purpose at the podcast. <laughs> We're playing so, with purpose. <laughs> no. Beth, it was great catching up with you. Um, good talking to you. Good having you back on. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, and thanks for everything that you're doing, and congratulations on all your awards. Oh, thank you. You're doing a great job. Thanks. Again, that was Beth Oppenheimer of the Idaho Association for the Education of Young Children. We talked about kindergarten in the interview segment, and we have the latest on all-day kindergarten and half-day kindergarten in the Boise and West Ada School Districts. That's a story I wrote on Tuesday. You can find that at idahoednews.org. And while you're at our homepage, there's a lot of news to catch up on this week, even after the election, news keeps happening. I take a look at teacher salaries and contract negotiations around the state. School districts, school boards, and uh, teachers are negotiating contracts for the uh, upcoming school year. That uh, budget year begins on July 1st, so we're right in the middle of negotiation season. And it comes right after the legislature put a lot of new money into teacher salaries. So what's happening on the ground? How is that affecting teacher pay? I take a closer look at what's happening around the state. Devin Bodkin has the latest from the West Ada School District. Feels like this is a story we've written before lately. A new trustee in West Ada, the uh, state's largest school district, has more turnover on the school board. We have that story again at idahoednews.org. Follow us on the homepage every day for the latest in education policy and education politics. Follow us also on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. We'll tweet out links to our latest stories, bulletins on any breaking items, and follow us on Facebook and join the conversation there. But don't come back to don't come back next week, I should say, for another edition of the podcast. I'm taking a week off. I'm taking some vacation time, so I'll I'll be back in two weeks with another edition of the podcast. But until then, continue to follow us at IdahoEdNews.org. I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good start to your summer.